Oh man, I'm excited for this one. <laughs> Hello. Um, tonight we're gonna be talking. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> tonight we're gonna be talking about discipleship, something that I'm very passionate about, going and making disciples, not just letting our faith stand stagnant, but actually going proclaiming what we have received in our own lives to a dying world. So you already know where we're at. We're in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to keep trekking along. We're actually going to finish here tonight in 2 Corinthians 5. So if you want to turn with me there. 2 Corinthians 5. And just a, a recap of this week. We started off and we talked about the gospel uh, of how he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay for our own sins. And upon that cross, he died for our sake. And, and we talked about how that good news of not just knowing it, but, but how the gospel transforms our lives Everything about us, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. So the gospel was foundational to everything that we've talked about. It, it, the gospel is what transforms our lives. And then last night we talked about how we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Ministers of reconciliation. And how we can now as Christians, as believers say, we have been reconciled to God. You can too. And, and that's our message is, is sinners reconciled to God in, in which we were the foremost. And so we're continuing on with that theme, but, but to talk tonight specifically, um, going through the passage, we're talking about a passage which is known as Paul's passion. His passion for discipleship, going and making disciples. And when we're talking about this, it's our, it's our theme verse, compelled, it's on your water bottle, some of your new shirts and hoodies and whatnot. But how do we as Christians, having received the grace and mercy from God, now live lives compelled for Him? Not, not for us anymore, but for Him and for His mission. What is His mission? We'll dive into that tonight. Tonight I'm going to be reading, um, we're in a few more verses than normal. I'm just going to read all of it. I'll pray and then we'll jump into it. Sound good? Sweet. I'm starting in verse 11 and I'm reading that whole passage again, 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Our theme verse, for the love of Christ controls or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's our text for tonight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the saints who have gone before us. 
Thank you that our struggles and, and our anxieties towards disciple, disciple making aren't new to us, but have been experienced from the beginning. God, I thank you for your mission to seek and save the lost. That that has been your mission from the beginning. And God, you desire us, all of us, not parts of us, not, not maybe a little bit of us, but all of us. So God, may we give ourselves up to you in full service for your plan, for your mission, for your work. You have it set out already. May we be obedient to that. God, tonight, would you speak through your word, through your text? Help us to see the heart of Paul, someone radically transformed by the gospel and whose life was just a marker of that grace. God, as we talk about the life of Paul, seeing how he was compelled by your love, may we be compelled in the same way. So God, just speak to us in your word. Holy Spirit, again, would you illuminate the text, help us to understand what's, what's being communicated here. What, what is Paul talking about? God, we can only do it with your help, with your power. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I think before... I think before jumping into the text tonight, I think it's important to give some context to what's going on here. So I'm gonna kind of take the scenic route to do that. But earlier this week, we talked about Paul's life, specifically his salvation story, his, his testimony, what God had done in his life and how that changed everything. We talked about how Paul later became, became an early church leader, that he planted churches. But, but something to focus on in, in Paul's life is when he was radically transformed by the gospel and he went, it, they're called his missionary journeys. When he went on his missionary journeys, life was not easy for the apostle Paul. You, you might know the stories already, but, but this guy, Paul, he, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was persecuted by his old people, the Jews. That was his people. When he was going on his missionary journeys, he got shipwrecked. This is a guy who's, who's living out the gospel, living out the, the call on his life to go spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and everything is fighting against him. All the hardships. It, it's, it's noted in scripture that Paul in his whole life as a Christian before his death, about five years total throughout the whole thing, about five years was spent in prison, in chains, for the pursuit of the gospel going out. And, and this, li this guy's life is, is not marked by, by ease or, or by carefree, lackadaisical, everything will work out, everything's good, but Paul was determined. He had every reason against him to, to stop. I mean, even a shipwreck would be enough for me. If, if you're going down, <laughs> going, going in the ocean and, and then you crash a ship, that, that might be good reason to say, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. But that wasn't Paul's heart. Paul knew what God had done for him and his life was fully displayed before God saying, God, what is your mission? How can I be a part of it? He, he didn't buckle under calamities or, or hard hardships. 
he kept going. And why did he keep going? Because he was compelled. He was compelled by the love of Christ. And, and in verse 15, we, we've read this already, but it says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul lived this out perfectly. He did nothing out of selfish ambition in these things. And, and so when we talk about Paul putting aside his life, his agenda, what he wanted to do for the sake of God's plan, for the mission of Christ, we're left to pause and wonder what, what is God's plan? What is the mission of Christ? Is it, is it something that's, that's easy? Maybe, but Paul might disagree on that point. What is God's mission? I, I, I just wanna point something out and I wanna make a claim. I, I think when we talk about God's mission of going and making disciples, a clear text for us to use is in the book of Luke. Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. And we hear that and we know that. We're like, oh, that's what Jesus came down for. That's what new covenant Christians are, are, are used for. Yes, but God's mission to seek and save the lost is not only in the New Testament. Throughout history, God's plan of salvation for people has been displayed throughout all of human history, not just in the New Testament. And so if you come to me and you think that the Old Testament God, the God of the Old Testament is wrathful, angry, vengeful, wants to rain down terror, but the God of the New Testament, he, he's peaceful, he's calm, he's gentle, He's graceful. If you tell me that, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that you've read either Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament for example, the book of Jonah. And maybe you've watched the Veggie Tales for Jonah. Good, that's helpful. But in the book of Jonah, what's going on is Jonah the prophet hates this people group, the Ninevites. And the Ninevites are to this day considered the most sinful nation to ever exist. To this day, people still think that. This is a nation that was known for just slaughtering civilizations, killing countries. It, it, it's noted in history books that the rivers around the area ran dry because the rivers were filled with dead bodies from the Ninevites. The Ninevites were known for sacrificing their own children to their gods. And that's just, that's just what they were known for. In their own circles, they're just a sinful nation, as sinful as can be. And in the book of Jonah, Jonah's praying to God and saying, God, would you pour out your wrath on them? Everyone hates these people. These people are so sinful. They're so warped. God, just pour your wrath out. But God doesn't do that. There's the whole story with the great fish and God puts his message in the mouth of Jonah to go tell the Ninevites, telling them, repent. You have 40 days to repent or else God's wrath is coming. And if you know the story, the Ninevites do repent and they turn to God and God, God saves them for the time being. And Jonah is upset at this. Jonah is saying, these are the worst of the worst. Hebrews don't even do this. But in the book of Jonah, there's just the key, 
key takeaway from the whole book is God's grace towards outsiders. Now we're not, when we're talking about the Ninevites, we're not talking about the Israelites, God's chosen people. But the Ninevites who worshiped other gods who were not chosen Israelites. But God desired to show mercy to them. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. That was hard for Jonah. Jonah didn't want that to happen. It even says in the last chapter that he didn't want to, to, to pray to God because he knew that God was a God of steadfast love and faithfulness and grace and patience. That, that's the God of the Old Testament. Same God of the New Testament. And so when we're talking about God's mission, absolutely, as New Covenant believers, absolutely, we're going out and we're sharing this message but don't think this is new to God. God's mission from the start, from the beginning, is saving sinners to himself. He's calling people to himself from the beginning. God used his people, Israel, to show and demonstrate his attributes to, to a world that didn't know him. The other nations would see his attributes and say, oh, there's something different about that God. Maybe that's the God of everything. God from the beginning has been calling people to himself and he uses his people to go and execute that plan. For the past year, I have been studying discipleship. What is discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like to go and make disciples? Why is it difficult for people to make disciples? Why is it not normal? And, and I think it's the, the same message that I've heard throughout the whole time. Why is it difficult to make disciples? Or, or why don't we make disciples? And, and it's the same thing of, oh, that's, that's for pastors. That, that's for church leaders. No, no, I, I think discipleship's important. That's good. But that's for people who are going on mission trips somewhere. That's for them. Or, or even that's for extroverted people. That's for the extroverted Christians that I know. That's, that's not for me. I, I kind of keep to myself. But the thing about that is, unfortunately, that's just not what we're called to. If you want to turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It's a key text in understanding discipleship. Making disciples. And you might notice too, this is the last thing that's said or stated in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus' final charge for his followers. This is after Jesus' resurrection and, and before his ultimate ascension where he goes to sit at the right hand of God. This is, this is his last thing that he says, his last charge, his last push before he's going to leave them. And we need this text to understand discipleship. Starting in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The great commission, the famous last lines, the last charge. And what this is communicating to us is that this is a charge for all 
disciples of Christ. Since the Bible is living and active, that means that this is for us today. Go and make disciples. It's a call from Jesus. When we become Christians, when we are welcomed into the family of God, we then conform to the things of God, to the commands of God, to the will of God. We are bought with a price and we are no longer our own. And Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's claiming his deity. He's God. And because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we might... We might know this passage really well. We might have heard this a million times. The Great Commission, oh yeah, I got it. But I think so easily and so often we take this passage out of context. We get caught up in words and we kind of hide behind these words and, and use them as excuses. When we read verse 19 where it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, a lot of times we say, oh, well, well, it says go. So that means I have to go to do this. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think it's important to make disciples, but I'll, I'll do that once I go somewhere. Then I'll do it. This week we've talked about tenses. You've all had library day up to this point. And here's another one. That, that first verb in verse 19, go, is in that same tense where it's talking about something moving forward, a continual action, a continuous action on that first word, which means when we're reading this text, a good way to read it is to say, as you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, as you go. That means anywhere. That means as we live in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our, even in our churches, our youth groups, as you go, make disciples. That, that's all the time. That, that doesn't stop or that doesn't start when we go somewhere. There's opportunity everywhere. We, we live in a world that is very lost. And we have the message of reconciliation. That's anywhere. So as you go, make disciples. Last night we talked in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And, and Jordan kind of touched on being an ambassador. But in, the, in this context, what an ambassador is, like he said, was an ambassador is a representative. But it's not just a representative. It's a representative of, of deity, of, of, of kingship, of monarchy. You're a representative of monarchy to a foreign nation, to an alien nation where, where this nation doesn't know anything about that king. They don't know the cultures, the customs, the beliefs. And so when, we're, when it's saying that we are ambassadors, that's so true. It's saying that we are representatives of the king of kings to a world that doesn't know him. That's anywhere. You guys know that better than I do. I, I live here at Hume Lake. I'm surrounded by Christians. That is anywhere. So as you go, no matter where you're at, as you go, making disciples of all nations. A famous pastor and theologian says this often. His name is Alistair Begg. He says, there is no ideal place to serve God except where he put you down. 
There is no ideal place to serve God except where he puts you down. That means in your contexts, where you're placed, wherever that is, as you go, make disciples of all nations. We're called to be ambassadors, but we're not left alone. Even in that verse of Matthew 28, the last thing that's said there by Jesus is, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are not left alone. We are called to be ambassadors, but we are not left alone. As Christians now, our whole life is a mission trip. We don't need to wait and go. Our life is a mission trip. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, we're talking about God's mission. God's mission is to seek and save the lost. What is our part? Let's look at the text. Starting in verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The only way that we know the fear of the Lord is because of what God has done in our lives. We know the fear of the Lord because of God's work. And so because of that, it's saying, therefore, because of that, we persuade others. And that word persuade in the original language, the root word for persuade is the same root that we use for our word for faith. And so what that means in our text is that when it says we persuade others, we're changing what people put their faith in. We're changing what people put their trust in. That's our mission. That's our cause. It goes on, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. We talked about this last night, but part of our message is what God has done in our own lives. We, we can't boast about outward appearance, but we only boast about what is in the heart. That's part of our message. It goes on and says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Beside ourselves, the, the modern equivalent of that phrase beside ourselves is kind of like if we said out of our minds. Paul is saying here, if it seems like we are out of our minds, it is for God. And in context of what's being said right before that, Paul's saying, we're not here to boast about outward appearance. Frankly, we're not here that you like us. Frankly, we're not here so that you think highly of us. That's not our mission. Nothing that Paul and his companions did was out of selfishness. So when it says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Paul's saying, if it seems like we're crazy to you, we're here for God. This is God's mission. That's what we're here for. And continues. But if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul's saying, if our message makes sense to you, that's our mission. That's why we're here. We're here for you. God, God is calling people to himself. And if, it's, if that's you, then, then that's why we're here. How we can apply this today is, if any of you have ever participated in evangelism or, or sharing your faith, 
When Paul is saying, if it seems like we are out of our minds, you might've experienced this, that a lot of times non-believers see our message and think, you Christians are crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. Why are you telling me about this? Why can't I just do me and you do you? That's your thing. Why do you have to tell me about this? And it seems crazy that we would go out of our way to share, to do that. Paul is saying here that he's experiencing the same thing. But when it seems crazy that we're sharing this message, we as Christians, we know our message. Our message is sinners reconciled to God. We're saying, I've been reconciled to God. You can too. And that's why we share. We're so passionate about their eternity. We care about the people around us. But that might seem crazy to people. And Paul's message seemed crazy to them. And he's saying, if it, if it does seem crazy, we're here for God. You, you can think what you want about me, but I, I'm here for God. That, that's my mission. That's, that's what we're here for. But in all of these verses, Paul is really set in the stage. And in these next verses, this is, this is Paul's mission. This is Paul's passion, starting in verse 14. It's our theme verse for the week. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For the love of Christ controls or compels us. I don't know if you guys watch the Olympics, um, but the Olympics always starts with an opening ceremony. It's like a big, big parade, big event. There's flags, there's fire, there's music. It's a big old thing. The whole world is, is watching at that point. And in the opening ceremony, the athletes get to represent their home countries and kind of do like a march. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And in 2008, in the opening ceremony, whole world's watching. Yao Ming, uh, he's a famous NBA player, uh, is representing China. And he's in the very front of the line holding the flag. And, and if you know Yao Ming, this man is seven and a half feet tall. Big guy. And he is just towering over everyone around him. But that night with, with the whole world watching, the eyes weren't actually all on him. But the eyes were on the person next to him. See, Yao Ming was in the front of the line holding a flag in one hand and then holding the hand of, of a nine-year-old boy, Lin Hao. This is a real story if you don't believe me. And his nine-year-old Lin Hao was a survivor of a deadly earthquake that happened in China just months before these games. And in this earthquake that devastated China, thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. In this young boy, Lin Hao's class, just 20 out of 30 of his students or of his classmates died. 20 out of 30. And this young boy, he himself survived, but it, it wasn't just that. He pulled himself from the rubble and he could have walked away. But this young boy went back and, and freed two of his classmates that were stuck, that would have died, pulled them up and saved their lives. And afterwards, when they asked him, why did you do this? Why did you go back? 
This is a direct quote. He, this is what he said, nine years old, mind you. He said, I'm the hall monitor. It was my responsibility. This is a true story. Whenever you get Wi-Fi and you get home, look this up on YouTube. It's a real thing. 2008. And, and this young boy, Lin Howe, he, he could have, he could have walked away. He, he could have just experienced physical salvation from death, walked away. He could have been very grateful and walked away and left it at that, but he didn't. He was compelled to go back and free two of his classmates and saved their lives. And why did he do this? He said it was because it was his responsibility. This young man was compelled or controlled just by his position at school. And this story is just showing a young boy, just nine years old, showing self-sacrificial faithfulness to a task. He's the hall monitor. It was his responsibility. As I, as I think of that story and I'm reflecting on that story, uh, I'm just left to wonder what, what would our lives look like if we live lives compelled by the position we've been given by God, ambassadors, ambassadors saved from death and bought with a price. When we become Christians, when we enter into the family of God, all, all of our thoughts, all of our um, prides, selfishness kind of get pushed to the side as we conform to what God cares about. And if you're hearing anything from this, what God cares about is saving lost souls. We conform to what God cares about. And when we conform to what God cares about, everything changes. But I just want to ask you, do you care more about your hobbies, your friends, your social media, your, your pets, or sports, more than you do what you care for what God cares about the most. We we're talking about this word compelled. It's, it's a question that stabs right at our heart. What compels us? What controls us? When we look to that verse for the love of Christ controls us, your translations might say something different for that word controls. If it's NIV, it's compelled, could be constrained, but, but it's the same idea that the love of Christ rules you. It's what helps you do everything. Makes you think first about God's mission for, the, for it's his love that controls us. What, what a story of a young boy who is compelled to live self-sacrificially for other people, what would it look like in our lives if, if we did the same? With the grace that we have experienced, with the grace that we have received to go out and go back and live out God's mission to save sinners like you and me to himself.
And so we look back to the life of Paul. <laughs> Paul's life was absolutely compelled. He, he understood this truth well, that he, he was saved from much and, and he's just living fully for God. Like, like we said, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, Paul's living this out. He's an example of living this out. It's no longer about him, but it's for God's purposes. And so what does this look like in our lives? Well, it's twofold. It starts with one, total surrender. A total giving up of ourselves to God. God, this is your mission, your work. God, would you use me, even me, for your plan, for your purposes, for your mission. God, I totally surrender my life to you. I'm yours. It starts with total surrender. But it doesn't stop there. You go from that to a total dependence on God. So we know we, we can't do it on our own. God, I don't know the words to say. I, I, I don't know all the answers to the questions. God, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to evangelize. I don't know how to make disciples. But God, I'm willing. God, I am totally dependent on you. It's your work, your mission. I'm here, Lord. And so in everything that we're talking about, it's God's mission. God's mission to save people, to call people to himself. And our job is obedience. Our job is a willingness to see what God will do. And so we show up. We're present. And if what we're talking about is difficult to go, to go and share, to go and make disciples, it's, it's been difficult for people for a long time. God's not expecting perfection, but he is expecting obedience. And that's our part. And that's where we come in. For it is the love of Christ that rules us. Why is it hard for us to go and make disciples? Why is it hard for us to go and make Christ's name known? We can so easily get into these thoughts of, like I said, I don't know the answers. What if I look stupid? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What if, what if I don't know the words to say or, or, or the scripture? I don't have enough scripture memorized to do it. We're worried about what others will think about us. Will people still like us after this? Is my message scary to people? Will I scare people away? And in all of these things, all of these questions, what's controlling us isn't the love of Christ. It's fear. It's fear. And when fear controls us, we become disqualified. Bless you. But elsewhere in scripture, it says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So whenever we're doubting ourselves, it's not from God. That's not a spirit of God. God gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control. When we're talking about going and making disciples, it's, it's not our capabilities. 
We are all broken vessels. We are all imperfect. Are we the best messengers for the job? Probably not. But in God's mission, we partner with him. It's his work. It's his power through us. Let's turn to Colossians 1. It's a little bit farther than 2 Corinthians 5. G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is Paul again. End of chapter one of Colossians. God's mission. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I want you to focus on this next verse, verse 29. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So when we're facing all of these doubts, all of these questions, God, I'm not adequate enough. I don't know enough. Hear this. It's God's mission. It's God's work. It's his energy that he powerfully works through you. Your job is willingness. If you don't believe me, ask any of the pawns. I hear it week after week from them. That when they're having conversations with students and they don't know the words to say, the Holy Spirit just brings up scripture to, to talk about. Is it because the pawns are so great, mighty, and wise? Maybe. I think they are those things. But it's not that. It's the power of God through them. Their position of willingness is where God comes through and works through his people for the sake of his people. And so when we're worried of our own shortcomings, hear this, you have the greatest proponent with you. You have God in you. You have God through you. His mission, your obedience. We get to partner with God in his mission. How do we know this? Well, if we turn back to 2 Corinthians and just in verse six, or sorry, chapter six, the next chapter of where we're at this whole week, the first verse of chapter six says, Paul says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And when we're talking about working together with him, it's our partnership with him and his mission. And it says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Friends, we were not saved just to be saved. We were not saved for our own selfish desires to do our own thing now. But we were saved to, to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. This is coming from Paul. The question then is of the will. The work is out there. The opportunity is, is everywhere. 
the question is of the will. Will you do this? Will you partner with God in his mission? See, the world, the flesh, the devil, all war against the will. But as we read our text tonight, it says, for the love of Christ controls us. None of those things matter. They fall to the side because it's the love of Christ that controls us. What Paul is saying here, Paul isn't saying that it's the love that he has for Christ that controls him, though that is important. That is important. But he's saying that that falls second place to Christ's love for Paul. Christ's saving love for Paul, his self-giving love for Paul, self-sacrificing love. It's a love that doesn't make sense where, where we plead guilty. God, we, we have done all of these things. And God says, don't worry. I made a way. I'll take care of it. Follow me. It's a love that we don't deserve. And Paul understands this truth mightily. And it's that love that controls, it compels Paul in everything that he does. Let's go back to Paul's story. I'll just read in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul's talking about his struggles. Verse four, it says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And then in the same book, you don't have to turn with me. I'll read to you in chapter 11. Starting in verse 24. Paul talks about his life. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's saying here, regardless of all these calamities that are coming towards him, all of these hardships, he says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's talking about the care he has for God's people. This is the statement. This is a passage of someone who is living a life compelled for God saying, regardless of what happens to me, no matter what happens to me and and if you're staying in <laughs> United States context, probably won't deal with these same things. Paul is saying, despite all of these hard things, despite all of these, these issues, these things that are not ideal, getting beaten almost to the point of death, being stoned almost to the point of death, imprisonments, being in chains, regardless of anything, Paul's saying it doesn't matter. For I am compelled by the love of Christ. That's my mission. That's my goal. My life is no longer about myself, but for him. If only our lives echoed that as well.
I want to wrap up with a quote from Johnny Artavanis. If you know him, he was the Ponderosa director these past few years. And Johnny always says that the only thing that we can do on this side of eternity that we can't do in heaven is preach the gospel to lost souls. This is not our home. This is our mission field, wherever we are. The question is no longer when we go, but it's as we go. This is our time to do this. There's no reason to wait. The opportunity is out there. The question is, will we do this? What would our lives look like if we lived lives compelled by the love of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the encouragement that it brings, that we are not alone, but that Jesus, you promised that you will be with us always. God, it is your spirit that works in us, works through us, works despite us and our shortcomings. God, may we just have a willing heart towards you towards your mission, your work. God, you've called us to this. You've called us to go and make disciples. And in any doubts that we have or questions for ourselves, God, may we just put our trust, our faith in you and you alone, your work, our willingness. God, we're grateful for the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. that you have saved us, not just to be saved, but you've saved us for your purposes. God, would you gear our hearts towards your purposes? God, if we see a lack of opportunity, would you just remind us to pray for opportunity? God, would you bring people into our lives that we may disciple? God, your work is happening regardless. It is a privilege that we get to come alongside you. An amazing thing at that, that you use us broken vessels for your kingdom, for your glory. We thank you for the story of Paul, what you did in his life to the point of death in Rome. He died for your cause. May we have the same passion of Paul to live our lives, no matter where we are, on mission for you, missionally for you. No matter what comes, you have us. Thank you, God, for this truth. You're glorious and gracious. We do not deserve you. Thank you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are going to enter into an activity tonight. So at this point, I'll welcome Jordan to the stage. For, for this week, in everything that we're talking about, we're not talking about just serving God in, in word and truth about knowing discipleship, 
about, about knowing the truth or, or even saying that we believe in discipleship. But we want to, as a staff, give you the tools to actually go and make disciples, to actually go and share the gospel, share the good news with other people. So I'll welcome Jordan up and we will get into our next activity.